Hello and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined once again by my sister, Kay Kellum. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. I'm glad you're doing well. It's kind of funny to be saying hi because we've just sat down and spent the last, what, two hours and 15 minutes or so watching Captain America the Winter Soldier. Very good movie. Uh, we have this on uh, on Blu-ray. We had seen it in the theaters originally. In 3D. In 3D. And I've got the 3D version, but since we were eating when we were starting and stuff, I get us. Let's watch the 2D version. Mm-hmm. Plain old boring thing that that might be. Um, just for a variety and see how different it was and stuff. In this discussion, we're going to obviously have tons and tons and tons of spoilers for Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, possibly a little on the first movie, Captain America the First Avenger. Probably a little on the first season and a half of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And possibly first five uh, episodes of Marvel's uh, Agent Carter. Yeah. Because it's all kind of related. But the the primary focus here is going to be on Winter Soldier. Now, as I recall, coming out of the theater when we had seen it when it first came out, and we had made sure to see that in the theater because it was tying into the uh, last third or so of the uh, first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we'd held off... You know, watching a couple of episodes because we knew it was going to tie in and stuff. Wanted to see it in the theaters so we could then keep going with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, and I've even heard that some of the actors on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. said that they found out through the Captain America movie, effectively, some of the stuff that would be happening or some of the twists, if you will, that their show would be taking. Mm -hmm. That's how pivotal they felt the events of the Winter Soldier were to the Marvel Universe. Totally, totally, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and such. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the differences between having seen it in the theater where I was at that point in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think we stopped maybe an episode before the, you know, we had what, we watched the movie. We had more, one more that we watched afterwards that led into the movie. Mm-hmm. We had the movie and then afterwards. But now, uh, we've got, you know, we've seen the rest of that first season. We've seen the first half of the second season. Yeah. You know, we've seen the ramifications of a lot of this. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit in the rearview mirror in that respect. Whereas it was kind of, you know, uh, fresh in our minds when we saw it in the theater. In the theater, it felt pivotal. Whereas here, it provides context, if you will, but it's not earth-shattering. Well, it's the difference between it's happening in the moment and it happened a while back. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I really think it, like you said, was pivotal at the time. Really, I think, improved the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season. It definitely did. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. went from being a show that I tuned into because I was enjoying it, but I wanted more out of, mm-hmm. to a show that it finally found its footing. Yeah. it, it Well, it, it really pulled the rug out from under Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with what happened with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Watching it now, my, my thoughts on it are very similar to how it was then, but, but quite a bit different in some respects, too, because... 
I think this is an excellent film. It stands alone very well. It does. Even outside of the context of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And apart from the first film. Apart from the first film, but it's got a lot of nice callbacks to the first film. It, it does, definitely. But, you know, I was thinking again as we watched it that having just seen the first film this time definitely added to it. But I wasn't sitting here going, oh, now suddenly that makes sense. They're two independent films, but while this builds on and leverages what happened in the first, it's not so dependent on it that I'm like, oh, wait, what? Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you've got to have just seen the first movie to understand this one. Exactly. The first movie just adds some depth. I mean, they mentioned the Red Skull, Zola comes back, a few things like that. There are a couple of callbacks, everything from the movie opening with Cap doing laps in D.C., kind of, you know, hearkening back to the first movie pre, you know, the Super Soldier Serum and Vita Rays, when Cap couldn't really be doing that kind of running and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, there were those kinds of, of callbacks and moments, you know, when he's jumping out of the plane in, in Winter Soldier without a parachute and stuff, harkens back to the first film when he does the, the parachute jump behind enemy lines to go save Bucky and whatnot. So there are some parallels there. Well, and he even had to go to the training camp that he had used and where he had been trained because that turns out to be where S.H.I.E.L.D. had their first base of operations. And given we know Peggy Carter was one of the ones who established S.H.I.E.L.D. with Stark, she may have done that out of sentiment. Yes. Yeah. Well, and again, that ties it into the Agent Carter stuff. Obviously, that ties it into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. There's some great continuity going on. And it's it makes sense. It's not a my what coincidence. It's, it's sentimentality among characters that makes sense in terms of Peggy Carter helped train him at that camp. Well, that was the basis for, again, not only Super Soldier program but all of those sorts of initiatives mm -hmm. it made sense to to base shield out of there mm -hmm. you know that that again was where howard stark had done a lot of his work peggy had worked there um you know so it all of it felt natural none of it oh geez what are the odds of that kind of exactly deal. exactly the movie though really kind of highlights some of the issues i've got with the agents of shield tv show conceptually how so this movie really underscores how huge S.H.I.E.L.D. is. Oh, yes. Okay. The 40-story the building, and by that, it's not actually a 40-story building, because by, by that I mean Pierce comments to Fury, it took a pirate incident, I think he's referring to, to get you to come up 40 stories to my office, <laughs> and Fury's office is not down on the ground floor. So if Pierce is up at the top, 40 stories above Fury's office, yeah. then it's probably more like a 60 or 70 story building. Oh, easily, because when uh, Falcon jumps out at one point, he's at the 40, 41st. 41st floor, and he's two and thir a helicopter uh, third of the way is down. rescuing him. Yeah, from far from the top of the building. Yes. Plus, there's all the, the, the floors below. And they have the entire building to themselves stocked full of employees. Well, and a huge, uh, I'm not even sure what to call it, but... The underground hangar? The underground hangar for 
three huge helicarriers. Yeah, and the building that we're referring to, it's the Triskelion. The Triskelion. Okay, the history on that, just as a quick aside, there are many things from these movies they're pulling from the main Marvel Universe, but some of the stuff they're pulling from the Ultimate Universe. Okay. What happened was back around, I think it was 2000, Marvel uh, uh, did a comic book series called uh, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. And the idea was just to do a six-issue mini-series of what would Spider-Man's origin be like if it was told today. Mm. Update it, re- not radically reimagine it, but, but tune or tweak it a little. So basically, add email, add cell phones. That sort of a thing. Okay. It did really well. Well, I can understand that because the modern generation, as I was teasing a clerk when I made a purchase today and noticed a teenager, a couple people back behind me in line... I tease the clerk, so do you think that person way back there could buy their purchase if they had to handwrite a check to you? Yeah. You know, there are some things that certain people can't relate to because they don't have firsthand experience with it. So if you update it to email and cell phones, it becomes more accessible. Exactly. It was very popular. Of course, it had Brian Michael Bendis as the writer, and um, I'm blanking on the artist, and that's... uh. It's a real shame because he was on it for Mark Bagley, I think it was. Check if you can. I know it was Bendis. I'm pretty sure it was Mark Bagley. The creative team was on it for like 110 issues, which these days is an unheard of uh, duration for a creative team, particularly for a six-issue miniseries. I mean, obviously they kept going, but they then expanded the, the Ultimate Universe to include the Ultimates, their version of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, all kinds of stuff. And the Triskelion, going back to what had originally brought this up, that building was the S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Avengers headquarters. And, yeah, Mark Bagley. Uh, and later, Stuart Eminent. But Mark Bagley was the one I was thinking. Great creative team. Bagley was was uh, a really prolific artist, and that's why they were able to get out more than just the 12 issues a year frequently. Um, but, again, the Triskelion was... The, uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, slash Avenger, or Ultimates headquarters. Cause those, that team of, of Ultimates was again proactively done by, uh, by Nick Fury. That Nick Fury happened to, of course, look a lot like Samuel L. Jackson. One of the other things they've, they've kind of borrowed from that. And kind of the origin of the Avengers, uh, in the movies here is, again, they've been handpicked. We've got this initiative that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s doing and whatnot. Well, I mean, talking briefly about the TV show and how it deals with S.H.I.E.L.D. versus, for instance, the movie Captain America and Winter Soldier and how it deals with S.H.I.E.L.D., they give me two very different impressions of S.H.I.E.L.D. as an organization and what it does. And that's been part of where I was saying with the TV show, I kept hoping for more. And it's not that I've disliked or been disappointed, per se, in it, the TV show. It's a good show. TV show, yeah, certainly. I enjoy it. It's just that in, for instance, the movie Winter Soldier, S.H.I.E.L.D. as an organization seemed to be there to support the heroes, to mm-hmm. interact with the heroes, to be, I almost want to say, the army that he could come in, interact with, and have at his back. And then we go to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, and they're going out almost acting more like archaeologists at times, finding artifacts and going down into underground ruined cities. And 
doing all these things, chasing down scientists who are making serums to make super strong people, and I'm not seeing so as much in the way of them working in support of heroes stopping villains, if that makes sense. In this universe, though, in the movie universe, you've got maybe a dozen super-powered people that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And three helicarriers in this film that are gargantuan. Mm. The whole Triskelion support staff, etc. I mean, there are tens of thousands of people at that one shield base alone. Mm. So the odds yes, exactly. kind of work in that, that yeah. thing. And don't get me wrong, I love the almost monolithic size and potential impact that S.H.I.E.L.D. has with the helicarriers and all that stuff in the movies. I liked the more personal, smaller scale to a degree of the TV show. But having that team so much in isolation from the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D., and again, it doesn't bother me on the TV show, but then watching the movie, it's like, yeah, wow, those guys were so disconnected. Well, I just find it hard to understand how the two are part of the same organization and what they're both doing. Well, and they set up, you know, Coulson is having his the elite team, team and all that stuff. Yeah. So they, they tried to set that up. And like I said, I enjoy both of them. They just, to me, don't. And, you know, Coulson doesn't work out of the Triskelion for a reason. Yeah. You know, so I just have ended up, in my mind, making them as being part of a more diverse group or organization than as both being part of S.H.I.E.L.D. One of the groups, though, we see in The Winter Soldier is uh, the Strike Team. Mm. Led by... Um, Rumlow? Rumslow. Rumslow. Who, in the comic, um, I don't think ever worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. I could be wrong on that. I believe that's Crossbones. Mm. Who's uh, another major Captain America villain, actually. A mercenary, etc. So it kind of fits the same sort of character, but different usage. And the fact that, you know, he wound up being a Hydra agent, pretty much, uh, falls in with that. But I was expecting more of those kinds of, of strike teams to be, you know, partnered with Coulson's team mm. and whatnot. But again, that's that's all on the the Agents of Shield, Shield TV side, show. Yeah. And at some point, we'll yes do a, a an episode kind of fully involved in that. Captain America, Black Widow, Nick Fury, uh, Maria Hill, Falcon. Falcon for me was the one that really stole the show. Yeah, uh, and, and right from his first scene, jogging, introducing him as really the first character we see. Mm-hmm. Smart move. Mm-hmm. And I believe he even got the last line in the movie. I think we ended on him, too. I think so. If you don't count the post credit scene. Yeah, I think so. Strong character, well used, fit in uh, to the movie very well. Well, and I liked his job at the VA. Mm -hmm. I really liked having him bringing out the, you know, these soldiers bring home baggage and you have to decide how you're going to carry it, how you're going to deal with it, having that aspect in the movie. Yeah, the whole coming home from war, dealing with that, mm -hmm. and having recent war vets from, from recent wars mm -hmm. made an interesting counterpoint to Steve Rogers, who's, as far as he's concerned, fresh home from World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. And going through just a lot of big adjustments. Yeah. And yet having, you know, they have the conversation of they both have that same feeling and that same problem of the bed's too soft. But I think that moment is why the Steve Rogers character and the Sam Wilson character really connected. 
Yeah. Because I think Steve Rogers, as a man out of time, had a, a people just don't get what I'm going through. And here was somebody who did. Yeah. Not, not that part of it, but other parts of it. Yeah. So they, they made a, a really good team and the, the Falcon suit was just really well done. It was. I mean, the, the flight sequences were cool. The, the guns, I think they seemed to, to be in with the wings or whatever. Cause there was a couple of times There's... where he'd kind of put his arms up by the wings with the guns and then suddenly the guns were out of his hand kind of a deal. He seemed to have two different places for holsters, like maybe one down by his hips and one up by where he could link his hands into the wings. That could be. And I, I was a big fan of the wings, I gotta say. Whoever did the, the design on that, both the CG, the mechanical, they pulled it off great. Yeah, I was loving his flight. I, I loved it when he gave Cap a ride, when he picked Cap up, told him, you know, he weighed more than he looked like, and Cap responded with, had a big breakfast. The airplays and stuff were just great fun. Well, but also when Falcon is on the helicarrier fighting and stuff, there were a couple of times where he would land, the wings would go away, or he'd get blown back and the wings would pop out. And yeah. It was a really fluid thing. And having kind of established the characters, this isn't his first time with these things. Yes. He was trained in this. He knows how to do this. It gave him credibility Yeah. for that. And it it's hard to pull off again, superheroes in general, but uh, certain costumes, I think, have big challenges. Wings, I think, are, are definitely one of them. Granted, in uh, one of the X-Men movies, they did Angel beautifully. But this is not bird wings. This is mechanical wings. Mm -hmm. And again, smooth. Yeah. You know, but they did that. They did uh, a great job with, with Black Widow. This, to me, may be her best movie in terms of character development and revealing her as a person i think so but i'd want to re well and we're going to at some yes. point rewatch the iron man movies yeah. which introduced her and and did a lot with her i think this was definitely a great film for her she got some great action sequences why they haven't gone ahead and done a black widow movie is beyond me you know and you mentioned that earlier and my only thought is because i mean at the time i joking response was you know i'm sure they have a, a reason i would not care for i i mean catwoman didn't do all that well i cannot even think of the superhero movie that jennifer garner electra thank you did i mean i think a lot of people don't put tomb raider into this category necessarily uh, of movies tomb raider originated with the, the games the video games Mm -hmm. But Tomb Raider has had a, a comic series that went on for 50 issues, but I don't, has, has had other series as well. Right, but I don't think people consider it a female superhero movie when they put the Angelina Jolie movies into a genre. True, true, and certainly not a, a comic book-based movie. Yeah, yeah. But, so if you were going to say, okay, what female superhero movies are out there? You go to Catwoman, you go to Elektra, and then you say... I don't think they've done that great. Supergirl was another one. What's interesting about that collection of characters, uh, even if you include Supergirl, but Supergirl uh, has had comics a lot. Catwoman has had comics for decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. she had one run that went, geez, 90, 100 issues or whatever. She's had uh, the current one in the new 52. Right now, over at Marvel, 
Electra has uh, a series. Uh, Black Widow has a series. This is the first time for uh, certainly not Electra. I'm trying to think if Black Widow's had ones before. Miniseries, whatever. But these characters have gotten a lot more popular. Well, um, and I think right now, because of the movies Black Widow has already been in, the character has built to a point that she would do well with a movie. But I think if you had asked me after her first movie, why doesn't she have a movie? I wouldn't have understood why you were saying that. No, and I agree with that, but Marvel has announced what their next dozen or something movies mm-hmm. are going to be. And I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Uh, certainly, um, Doctor Strange is one of them. And he was mentioned in this film at one point. When Jasper Sitwell is getting interrogated on the roof, mm. after um, Black Widow kicks him off the roof, he goes falling and Falcon scoops him back up. He's explaining that uh, the Hydra plan with the, the algorithm was going to go find anyone who was a danger. Mm-hmm. Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange, yada mm-hmm. yada. And it's like, okay, that's a nice kind of a, uh, you know, tie you into know, these things. What I loved about the scene you just mentioned was that uh, Cap was the one threatening Jasper at first. Mm-hmm. And Jasper's not looking scared at all. He's like, I know, you're, it's not your style. You're not going to do this. So he just steps aside. And he's like, the- yep, that's why she's here. Yeah, and I loved it. What I loved is he was then kind of presumably expecting, okay, now she's going to threaten me and ask questions. She doesn't. She just knocks him off the roof. Yeah. And then Cap and Blackwater are like, well, what about this other person to go date or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then we get the first real shot of the Falcon. And it was a lovely introduction of the Falcon with his wings. Nice dramatic entrance gave him a good reason to swoop down and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, on the roof as a landing. It just... Yeah. And the moment he drops Jasper, it's, okay, I get it. You're going to kick me. This guy may not always catch me. I get it. I'll talk. You're not bluffing, you know, kind of a thing. It's huh? It made for a very interesting mix of characters. And again, certainly maybe not after Black Widow's first movie appearance. Okay, fine. But you've got an actress who's clearly capable of doing the action sequences. It's a well-done character. Well, and that's the thing. It took me a few movies to catch on. The, how much there was to the character. Mm-hmm. You know, and by this movie, okay, now I'm starting to understand, especially since this movie had some lines like, you know, when I was in the KGB and I was doing basically bad things for bad people and not knowing it, and then I thought I went straight. Yeah. And to find out I may have been doing things for Hydra and not known it. She's a professor professional liar, is good at reading people, and she'd been fooled. Yeah, and she can't figure out why Steve isn't upset. And she says, you just found out you died for nothing. And his response is, oh, but now I know who I'm fighting. Yeah, now I know what to go do to fix it. Yeah, and it it was another reason to love the Captain America character. Mm-hmm. But it was also another reason to understand the depth to her, and that she seems to be on a path of redemption. Oh, totally, totally. But it also showed the dichotomy between those two. Mm-hmm. To a degree, they're almost flip sides of the same coin. I mean, different backgrounds and whatnot, but she's much more pragmatic and almost pessimistic at times. But she's always been so pragmatic and so pessimistic that I didn't really know if that could carry a movie. 
And understanding this path to redemption is where I saw, okay, I get it. Well, that's that's interesting enough. But the opportunity they've got with that character for a movie is to do not a superhero movie, but a super spy movie. Definitely, yes. They could basically make a run for the Mission Impossible super spy genre and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, bring in maybe one or two other people as background type characters. Have it be kind of, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s built back up, she's doing some stuff for them, or she's doing it on the side or something. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you bring in Hawkeye, maybe you don't. I don't know if you noticed, but throughout this film, she had a necklace with an arrow. Yes. On again, off again, boyfriend in the comics and stuff of mm-hmm. Hawkeye. So, and I think that was uh, Scarlett Johansson's idea. Interesting. Yeah. And it they never mention it. She never really makes it obvious or whatever, but it's a nice, fun little connection to the universe well and i liked her constantly trying to set steve rogers up with someone mm-hmm. you know the very practical hard as nails sometimes she comes across as just an assassin character worried about his love life it it doesn't seem like something that should be part of that character until you realize, but she does have a soft side. Yeah. She cares about her friends, and this is where it's coming out. Well, in the comics, Hawkeye is a bit of a different character than we've seen in the Avengers and that we saw in, uh, I guess, the first Thor movie. A bit more of a wisecracking guy. He's led the Avengers, or West Coast Avengers at least at times, and he and Captain America... Don't exactly butt heads, but it's a very interesting dynamic between those two because Hawkeye is always the 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 number two guy out of that, Mm-mm. but wants to be you know as a peer or whatever. And it's not like Captain America treats him poorly or anything of the sort, but there's a an almost competitive thing going on there. And they've done a number of things where the two have teamed up, and there it's almost a comedic banter or whatever. So if you were to do a Black Widow movie. And have Hawkeye in it. Mm-hmm. Just as this one had a lot of of Black Widow and Cap kind of talking about Cap's lack of a love life or whatever. You could have Hawkeye constantly kind of complaining about, this is what happened when I teamed up with Cap. I have this problem, you know. Yes, yes. She's like, get over it. I mean, kind of, she's partnered with both of them. Cap and Hawkeye have had some off-screen adventure. Yes, yes. And she's having to just get over it, kind of, you know. Yes. There's a fun dynamic that could be had there. Um, And I think they could do a lot more with Hawkeye than they've done. I think so, too. I don't think he's a strong enough character in the movies to justify giving him his own film. But he'll get a little more screen time in uh, the next Avengers movie, presumably. Having him as, as kind of kind of like the Falcon role here. Yeah, and that just goes back to I really loved how they did the Falcon here. In the next Captain America movie, I'd love to see them go after Bucky. Find and rescue isn't quite the right word for it, but What's salvage him. hilarious with this movie? Steve Rogers, Captain America. Mm-hmm. He got replaced uh, in one of the recent-ish volumes of Captain America um, after he'd been shot and killed in Civil War by Bucky. Mm. Okay? That okay. was Captain America for a while. Steve Rogers undies, comes back. It's comics. Come on. Go figure. Uh, Steve Rogers' cap again. Steve Rogers then recently loses his super soldier serum, 
ages to his his real age, so he's like a ninety or something. And Falcon takes over his cap, keeps the wings, of course. Of course. But you know, we had three characters here in a Captain America film that, in the comics, were all Captain America, mm-hmm. which is you know, and they may or may not go down that road. Yeah. You know, at some point. They're going to need to swap out actors here and there if they try to keep this continuity going. Yeah. Well, one of the things that intrigued me is this film gave very, very little explanation for how Bucky became the Winter Soldier. They gave a very brief um, cryonic freezing and Zola explanation. Cryonic freezing, he'd been experimented on, he survived. They alluded to a lot, but they didn't explain. Yeah. And again, they could do a whole other movie on that. Um, and they did say uh, memory wipes mm-hmm. had happened and were happening even during the movie. But one of the things that just stuck out at me was that star on the on left. On the, the shoulder, yeah. Yeah, the left shoulder. Because that star is just like the star on Cap's shield. I'm trying to remember if they gave an explanation in the comic for that. And they may have, but I don't recall. You know, and it could just be a coincidence, but it was just one of those things where I was like, you know, for all that Bucky doesn't remember Captain America, he can't kill either Steve Rogers or Captain America. But again, his entire encounters. presence here is a nice callback to the first film. Yeah. Because for the longest time, Bucky was one of the unrevivable characters. Because Cap was always, oh, I lost Bucky. Hmm. You know, just so sad about that and whatnot. And it's like, you know, he had a clean death. It was a good one. Let's let's go on, you know. But Ed Brubaker found a way to bring the character back using the whole Winter Soldier stuff, stay true to the character, create a really interesting story of, oh, wow, mm-hmm. the whole thing, I can't fight him, he's my friend, etc. And they did that beautifully oh. here. And, you know, going back to this is spoiler-filled, I loved Bucky one way or soldier, pulling Cap out of the Potomac. Mm-hmm. You know, he beat him half to death when Cap wouldn't even defend himself. Watched Cap falling, presumably to his death, out of the plane. He was up there, safely going to crash, we'll you say. Know, we didn't watch to the end of the credits. I am thinking there's a scene at the end with Bucky at the Smithsonian. Mm. I think you're right. I think I remember that from the theater. And when we watched the first movie, we didn't think to, to go to the end of the... No, we watched for the scene within the credits, and that was as far as we went. But I'm pretty sure with this one, yeah. there was a scene, and this goes to pay attention to the very end of a Marvel yes. movie. Yes, Which is, I appreciate them doing that, because all the people who put these things together, come on, if you're going, particularly when I go to the theater, I wait till they turn the lights back on. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, well, uh, and- I want to, not that I'm memorizing or even really reading all the names, but these people work their butt off to get these films put together. 16 hour days frequently. Well, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they scroll through a zillion names or whatever. Yeah. So at least, you know, giving them the opportunity to, to have their name in lights or whatever. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Um, well, and mentioning the Smithsonian scene that we did watch, uh, Steve Rogers going to the Smithsonian because he needed to be inspired. Well, and to, I don't say relive, remember, he's still struggling with this is, this, this is what I know and this is where I am. Yeah, but he's, he's feeling so disconnected, so disheartened. Mm-hmm. 
And going back to see that was real and I need to be inspired just like all the other tourists need to be inspired. Well, and it was also, I think, right after the Peggy Carter scene. Mm. Right around there. Yeah. He goes, visits the elderly Peggy Carter, has a good conversation, and it's clear she's got memory issues here. It kind of yeah. hits that reset button. Oh, Steve, you're back. You know, both of the, the, the they played that well. Peggy married one of the 1,000 people he rescued mm -hmm. and had a kid or two. In the comics, mm -hmm. Agent Sharon, uh, the Emily Van Camp. Oh, yes. Last name? Mm -hmm. Carter. Really? Interesting. Now, with the comics, you've got to keep in mind that the Captain America comics started in the 40s. Okay, they, they went away for a while, came back in the 60s, and have been kind of going ever since. Mm -hmm. Now, at that point, you've only got about a 20-year gap between World War II and the present day when he's out of the ice. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a longer gap, so relationships change. At originally, I believe Sharon Carter was Peggy Carter's niece, mm. possibly. Interesting. And then maybe you know it, now it's you know going to be a granddaughter kind yeah. of a situation or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't really clarify if that was the case here, mm -mm. and I would be shocked if it was because how would he not know? Having you know reconnected with Peggy. He would have read up, and it, it, I don't know. Hopefully. Well, if it's a direct descendant, yes, presumably. In this case, it most likely would have been granddaughter. Yeah. If Peggy had a kid and the kid had but, a kid. Well, going back to niece or whatever. True, true. But it would also go towards why she would have been picked by mm -hmm. Nick Fury to watch over Cap. Yeah. Kind of a, this one we can trust. Yeah. It was a little unclear to me how pervasive Hydra's infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. was. Who knew, who didn't. Yeah. Um, Because there were clearly a couple of people who, who were, were tried and true believers of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. And others nah, definitely knew they were in Hydra as part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. And they deal with that a lot in Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. Definitely. But it was interesting to have the basic, the bad guy and the hero organization be the same thing. Yeah. The one time we really got a, a classic, these are the bad guys, was on the uh, the freighter, which turned out to have been fake bad guys hired by Nick Fury or whatever. It was weird. But we got Batroc. Yes. In the comics, that's Batroc the Leaper, who is known for his overblown French accent. Granted, here he was actually speaking French. Big difference. And he is, his costume is like orange and purple. <laughs> Big fancy mustache. Oh, God. Batroc the Leaper, and he, you know how he was kicking Captain America mm -hmm. and stuff? He has that sort of uh, a savat or whatever, uh, uh, I forget what it's called or whatever, uh, fighting style that's very much, you know, using the legs, kicking, leaping, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard, yep, that's who they're going to use for a villain in the movies. Like, really? That's going to be hard to pull off. He's hard to pull off in the comics. <laughs> He's somewhat comical there. Mm-hmm. But they, they did a great job here. The fight sequence on, on the whole freighter thing was great. The Batroc cap stuff was excellent. I enjoyed the freighter fight scene, but I have to say it kind of paled in comparison for me to some of the freighter fight scenes over on Arrow. I thought they filmed theirs a little better. I think they filmed it better uh, on Arrow. One of the things I felt with this one, when Cap was like going up, Mm -hmm. the, the different levels of the thing. 
when they would do something like that on Arrow, they do a much better job showing kind of the parkour nature yes. of the movement. You're far enough out, you can see him bouncing against the wall, and it's, it's believable. Yeah. Here, the cuts were such that you saw just bits and pieces at any one point. Never I can follow the action. Yeah. And one of the things I love about Jackie Chan films, Rumble in the Bronx, uh, First Strike, uh, some of those is, I mean, the action fight sequences are amazing, but just some of the action sequences of him getting from point A to point B, you know, he's bouncing up the wall or whatever. It's like there's a fluidity there. There's a super heroic aspect to the movements. Mm -hmm. It's fun to watch. Yeah. That, I agree, they could have done a lot better here. See, it's funny because as we were watching that scene, I was caught up in it. I was enjoying it, but I was actually thinking, I wonder what the team on Arrow could have done with this. And that was when I realized, wow, this could be better if I'm if I'm stopping to think that. What that makes me think is... I've watched too many episodes of Arrow. No. <laughs> Imagine Arrow. Yes. Call him Hawkeye. Oh. Team him with Cap. Yeah. 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 But the problem is the Hawkeye they've shown us in the Avengers in the other films is frankly a little more stiff and off-putting than, than the Oliver Queen we got on Arrow. I was going to say, the Hawkeye in the films just hasn't had enough scenes and kind of like Black Widow up until now. Well, or like uh, the early, early Oliver Queen in Arrow. Yeah. Until we really had time to get to know him. Yeah. And I think they could easily do that kind of transition with Hawkeye in the films. Yeah. He just needs more screen time. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite fight scenes in Where Soldier is the elevator. Yeah. You know, and part of it is, and both times we watched it, you know, Cap gets in the elevator and then somebody, you know, puts their hand through the door to hold it and joins that was, him. That was Rumslow. Yes. And as more and more people are getting in the elevator... And Cap is just kind of looking around, noticing. Well, one guy is 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 got his hand on his like a uh, cattle prod baton thing, like he's ready to pull it out. Yeah, you know, like the 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 gunfighter with the gun, the hand over the gun in the holster. Another guy is is starting to sweat. Yeah, they're clearly it's like okay, and he they do a great job giving us the visual clues of Cap's picking up on this. He knows what's going on. Two guys come in with briefcases with really big, obvious handles that look a little suspicious, and those are the ones that turn out to be the magnetic handcuffs. Yeah, well, and these guys look more like football players than yes. business executives that are just happening to be at the Triskelion. Yes. And I love the bit of, you know, before we get started, if anyone wants to get off. Oh, and one of my favorite lines is uh, Rumslow at the end. Cap, it's not personal. Yeah, well, it kind of felt personal. <laughs> well, and there's nowhere to run, Cap, and he goes diving out the other. <laughs> they did some great stuff. Some of the, the falls from great heights yes. were really well done. Yes. Um, there were one or two places where I felt the CG was a little obviously CG. I'm trying to remember where that was. All in all, I think the effects were, were brilliantly done. Yeah, oh, I loved it. And the shield with no scuff marks. I loved the shield. There was early, like on the, the freighter mission where he's in more of a stealth mode, it was more of a blue than a red mm. shield. Mm -hmm. I think it had different colors and stuff. Um, I loved his going to the Smithsonian when he needed the uniform and couldn't get his presumably back from the Triskelion. Mm -hmm. I thought that was hilarious. The magnetic uh, thing on the back of his mm -hmm. uh, costume for the shield. 
the early sequences on the freighter where they were showing him doing the ricochet stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the guy knows what he's doing. He's polished. He's mm-hmm. He's been out in the world a bit, you know, beyond just the Avengers movie, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is more of the cap that I know and love from the comics. The natural leader. The I mean, there were a couple of times Falcon says, I'm, I'm with him. Well, and then, I'm doing what he's doing just slower. Yes, I loved that line. And I love the fact that whether he means to or not, Cap frequently ends up taking over, giving the orders. And at one point, he even basically takes over from Nick Fury and everybody in the room basically tells Nick Fury, no, we're following him, not you. <laughs> Not basically. He totally does. He's like, shield go. Because uh, yeah. Fury is like, well, let's save the helicarriers. And Cap's like, no. Whole thing's going down. You know? Helicarriers are going down. Shield's going down. It's all toast. Mm-hmm. And Black Widow's like, well, yeah. You know, that's what's going to happen. And when, when Nick Fury looks over at Falcon, who he had, you know, it's like, who, who the hell is he kind of a deal? And Falcon's like, no, you know, going with him. It goes towards Cat being the natural leader, the moral compass. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, if if there's any guy in the room you just should trust, it's him. Mm-hmm. And setting that up in a story, pulling that off both uh, as a storyteller, as an actor, mm-hmm. not easy. Yeah. But they did it. They did a great job with that. Well, and I liked when... Uh Falcon is talking to him before they go into the final battle. And he's saying, I'm not sure you can save your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and Cap says, well, you know, I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give up on him. You know, and he's got that look on Falcon does on his face of I'll follow him anywhere. I'll do whatever I can to support him. But when it comes down to the hard decisions, I hope I'm there to have his back. Have his back, but not have to make the decision for him. Yeah. Because Falcon never once told him, it's got to be this way, you're going to have to, or I will, or anything yeah. of the sort. It's, and here's, a, here's a guy's thinking he can save his friend, and will do whatever it takes to do that. How can you not support that? Exactly. Exactly. And that's part of why it had to be just Cap and Bucky up on the helicarrier at the end. Yeah. It's why Falcon's wings had to be disabled. It's why he had to be down in the building. Well, and what I liked with Falcon's wings getting disabled is there were two or three things that Bucky did. Uh, grabbing the wing at one point, doing a, a, a grappling hook through it, another. I mean, it wasn't just, okay, the first touch and they're gone. Yes. Yes, he struck at him for two or three minutes of aggressive... Uh, he was targeting the wings explicitly. Yes, yes, You know, it was... He tore one off. Yeah. And even so, you know, Falcon still, you know, flew for a little bit or whatever, had the parachute. Yeah, and that was one of the things I liked about the design, was that Bucky was able to tear one off, and Falcon could kind of spin with the other one for a bit. And kind of get his bearings and then basically eject the one surviving wing. And I thought, well, that's a clever design to have an eject button when you realize you're going to spin out of control because you only have one wing because the other has been disabled or lost. Again, you're setting these up for military use. We knew at least two were in production, in mm-hmm. use in production. 
presumably quite a few more. Yeah. It cleverly designed. I liked it. And like you said, the parachute for the backup. It was well done. I'm pretty sure it was a, a Stark-made device, too. Not positive, but I'm pretty sure. It's just there were a lot of really well-done aspects mm-hmm. of, of the thing, of the movie. It's, I mean, all uh, I'd be hard-pressed to name any of the Marvel films, Marvel Studio films, that I think were bad. I think mm. some were better than others. Some had to do certain storytelling points. Mainly Avengers is the one I'm thinking of there. Got to get the team together. Mm. Got to have them mm-hmm. fight. Got to have them get along. Got to have them go beat people, you know, mm-hmm. beat people up, do that kind of a thing. But this one I felt, uh, particularly when we saw it in the theaters, just really fired on all cylinders, uh, did a really good job. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that's true of, of a lot of them. Yeah. You know, once they had gotten away from, we have to tell the origin story, to, okay, now let's move a little bit further and tell some other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because they could have done this and told Bucky's origin as the Winter Soldier and had that be the, the bulk of the film. No, nah, yeah. it's just kind of in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's not the main narrative thrust. I appreciated that. They told a really good story in the present day. Well, and I think Falcon and Cap and the Winter Soldier could have an amazing story together in the salvaging and rescuing of Bucky. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be the next Cap film or not. Easily could be and probably should be, because that sets you up for one later on that has just Bucky and Falcon. Yeah. And it comes down to what's their game plan going to be as some of these actors start aging out of some of these roles over time. Yeah. The nice thing is we've already seen one case where they've replaced an actor. Two cases they've replaced an actor. Um, uh, Rhodes in uh, Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, for War Machine, and uh, um, Hulk in Avengers. True. I mean, we've had three Hulk movies and three different actors. Yeah. You know, I hope uh, the current one from, from the Avengers sticks around. I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. It just depends, again, are they going to do another Hulk movie? Are they going to have him in more than just the Avengers, you know? Yeah, yeah. How does What's that go? What's the plan? It, I think it's a lot less work for any of these actors to be part of an ensemble like the Avengers versus they've got to hold... Hmm. The whole movie, and again, this was this was this was a team movie. It was for all that it's called Captain America. I think it really feels more like a team movie. Cap is front and center, but we see a lot of, mm-hmm. of Black Widow, a lot of Falcon, a fair amount of both, you know, Winter Soldier and uh, and Nick Fury. Yeah. So I like how they're not trying to just do. It's all Iron Man. It's all just Cap and yeah, you know a few other people show up here and there. Well, but to that end, I knew there was something wrong with that Rumslow character. The moment he had too many lines of dialogue when they were going out to the pirate ship. Yeah, there comes a point where it's like they've spent a little more time on the. He's not just an extra. He's somebody. Yeah, he he's getting too much attention. I need to pay attention to him and. I kind of like him at this point because he's supportive of Cap, and I've been told to watch this movie because something big is going to happen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it's not good, which means, oh, crud, I shouldn't like this guy. I'm surprised they haven't brought him back in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's a good point. They make a point of showing us him getting the hospital alive. That's a very good point. That would be interesting. There are a number of things like that where I think... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
is is off telling their own story, and that's fine, that's good. But there are other things that I'd like to see more of. Yeah. You know, again, it tying more into the big picture. We saw Sif in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We, we see uh, Mockingbird, but we haven't seen her in this. And frankly, if they were to do a Black Widow movie, mm-hmm. Mockingbird ought to be there. Uh, Bobby Morris. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other on-again, off-again kind of girlfriend of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. You need a love triangle. You don't even need Hawkeye in the movie at that point. <laughs> and it's funny because they've got a, a hunter in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, with the evil ex-wife. Oh, it's her. You know, so they've 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 tried to play some of that up. It's just with yeah. a different character. But this is a film that, again, like all the Marvel ones, well worth watching. A lot of fun. Yeah. And well cast. I mean, Robert Redford as a yeah. fierce, you know, moment he's on screen. I was like, wow, loving it. They've gotten him for this, Ben Kingsley in Iron Man. Who else have they gotten that are really, really big name, you know, prestigious type actors and stuff? I mean, none of the actors they get are bad. No, but, but they... it's cool to be in movies. Redford, I wanted to be in this. Yeah. Because he wanted to be in a Marvel movie. So his, his kid, grandkids, kids or grandkids, I guess grandkids could see him in, in one. Oh, uh, Anthony Mackie um, had apparently been constant, not constantly, but, 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 you know, sending emails or... Letting Marvel know, I want to be in it. Do you have any character I can be? I want to be in it. Mm-hmm. All in good time was the response from Marvel. Director of this gets wind of it and it's like, okay, great, you're hired. I don't know if it was literally that easy, but it's like, you've got actors that are going out of their way saying, I want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you look back towards when... I don't want to say the previous Captain America movie because that was, again, part of this franchise, but the previous incarnations, live action incarnations, mm-hmm. uh, be it the one in the 90s, the one in the 70s, where, I mean, this stuff was still just, oh, it's just for kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you didn't have any cachet, any respect. Yeah. And really, it's only been, oh, gosh, I'm not even sure how far back I would go where that, that really turned that corner. I'm going to say 10 years. That sounds about right. And I'm not even sure what I would say was the first one that really made that happen. Because I think it happened before Iron Man, certainly with the Marvel stuff. I mean, I think the X-Men movies were part of it. Mm -hmm. The Spider-Man movies were part of it. Some of the Batman movies. There came a point where it went from, these are successful to, these are cool, these are mainstream. I was going to say, the successful started back in 89. Certainly there have been successful and, ones with Batman and stuff like that. Yeah, but that was a turning point in and of itself. Totally. That went from these are, are just a lark or comedy or whatever to you could do a, a serious-ish film. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the one back in 89 was one of those groundbreaking experiments in a contract because... Jack Nicholson? Jack Jack Nicholson, who was the Joker. There you go. He had written into his contract this silly little clause that nobody thought would mean anything. As I recall, it was something like he would get a share of the profits from this new invention called videotapes. Rentals and sales. Or just, I will do your silly comic book movie if I can get a percentage of the I don't even know if it was the. I know he got a percentage deal, but I wasn't sure if it was profits, gross, or if it was just limited to videotape type stuff. It was the part that made the 
it was amazing was videotapes. Okay. Because no one had ever had videotapes written into their contract before they started production. Mm-hmm. Before that contract, at least. Because I learned about in college, like three years later. It was also at a time, though, where big name actor like Nicholson, you're getting him onto that kind of a mm-hmm. thing, throw him a bone. It's not yeah. like it's going to go gangbusters. Oh, wait, it did. Nobody thought that clause about video sales and rentals would mean anything. Yeah. And suddenly he made huge sums of money from that clause and other actors found out about it. Mm-hmm. And it changed how contracts were written. Yeah. Well, it was just a different era back then in terms of the, the home watching of films. Mm-hmm. Because to to watch it back then, again, you needed the videotape. There was pricing the video for rental and stuff. I mean, the whole rental market's almost gone. Yeah. You've got uh, streaming as the replacement. You've still got Netflix that I think may sh- still ship physical things back and forth. But the whole concept of going to the local video store, that was an industry that, that came up, did great, and is almost gone. Yeah. But we can pick up. On DVD, on Blu-ray, or streaming, or whatever, any major film you want. Yeah, and for less than the price of two tickets at the theater in most cases. Yeah, and it's so cheap and affordable. I mean, this was... Hell, I don't even remember how much I paid for this. 3D Blu-ray, not cheap. Yeah. But, you know, if you get the, the, the DVD version of the, the Plain Jane Blu-ray, on average you're talking, what, 20 25 bucks. We'll say 20 that's on par with a trade paperback for a comic book, six issues that tells a story. And, you know, you get maybe almost as much story in the trade paperback as you get in the film. It's it's more or less on par. Mm-hmm. But more people are going to gonna watch the, the DVD or the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It's, frankly, a more immersive kind mm. of thing. You get the sound, the action, the ooh-ah, you know, the acting and stuff like that. More pizzazz or whatever. And don't get me wrong, I love reading comics. Well, and speaking of the music, in the fight scene on the freighter, the percussion, I suppose you would say, of the music was beat for beat, perfectly timed to the leaping of the bad guy when he was flipping backwards. I don't think I noticed that. And it was just, it was so impressive to me how they'd edited it and timed it. And I was sitting there thinking, God, this is a great soundtrack. And then I thought, no, this is perfect music for the scene. But if I were listening to this music without this video, mm-hmm. it would it would pale in comparison. It oh. needs the image. I've been a big fan of movies and stuff for ages. Got a degree in radio, television, film. So I've always had the idle thought, well, if I were doing thus mm. and so. And if I were doing an action sequence for a movie or doing an action movie how fun would it be to get somebody a fight choreographer not necessarily jackie chan but along those improvisational oh let's use what's around us type thing get somebody who's got you know for the music and the soundtrack get them working in tandem Mm. choreograph the fight orchestrate the music as well as the fight Mm mm-hmm to get that whole sum of the thing all at once. Mm-hmm. Because that would just be a... It'd be tough to pull off because you'd have to get the editor involved, all that, just to get the, yeah. the timing right. But again, like you said, when you do it, it can be awesome to watch and, and sometimes noticeable, sometimes not. not. But even when it's not, that in and of itself, it's just, it flows so naturally. Well, 
And the reason I noticed it was because they were on the freighter and it almost sounded like he was landing really loudly. Mm. Like it was emphasizing his landing. And I had noticed when they were rappelling down the side of the freighter that their footsteps were silent. And I was thinking, you know, that is the most soundproofed freighter ever. Nobody's hearing them on the inside. They're not making a single sound walking down the outside. This seems impossible. if with the leaping, you almost have a a steel drum kind of a... Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, part of what brought it to my attention. It was, in both cases, it was very convenient that they were perfectly silent walking down the side outside of the freighter so that they could surprise people. And with the fight, it was just perfect sounds. And I was like, wow. Also around there, there was the one bit where the people in the room are like, you know, hey, go go get uh, Bat Rock or whatever. We're going to start shooting people, or you know. And then the guy on the other hand, yep, I'll go get him. Turns, gets zapped by Rumslow. Cut back in the room. And the guy's like, did I hear something? No, I guess not. And <laughs> moves on. And it's like, you know, that's, that's almost cliche. That's making us think, oh, wow, the... They've been found out. And kept outside where the guy is holding him to make sure he doesn't drop loudly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of that's a little cliche. That It can still be fun, though, and it was. Well, and some of the fact that it's cliche comes from the fact we watch so many movies. It's hard to invent new things. There does come a point where you become trained as an audience member, mm-hmm. a movie watcher, a comic book reader, a, a book reader, a story consumer that you see the patterns you anticipate the patterns you can almost mock some of the patterns before they happen or as they're happening Mm -hmm. and i mean there's nothing right or wrong about that but that's one of the things that that i think differentiates me from the average comic book reader is i may see think something is very average cliche or pedestrian other people it's like wow i've never seen that before and i'm like well have you read this that this or that the other yeah. And again, it just comes down to exposure and what you're aware of. It doesn't make the story any better or worse, just your reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I go into this having read the overwhelming majority of Captain America comics published since sometime in the 70s. Well, and the other thing for me when I watch these things is it doesn't have to be brand new, unique, never been done before. Was it done well? Yes. Because I don't care how unique it is if it's done poorly. If it's done horribly or not well, it could be the most unique thing ever and I'm not going to enjoy it. If it's done brilliantly and I I recognize it's not unique or original, that just impresses me all the more on the execution. If the execution is just okay, then I'm more likely to notice, you know, but I've seen this story a thousand times. And that a brilliant concept, okay execution... It's still a brilliant concept. Mm-hmm. I've seen a couple of movies. In matter of fact, one of them that's on the uh, to watch and review for the the podcast eventually is Primer. It's a independent film that was done up in I think Dallas for like six or seven thousand dollars. Hmm. Shoe string budget, and mm-hmm. man, they they leveraged the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Brilliant concept. Really well done story. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming out of there thinking it's not like they've got the world's best actors or anything like. Nothing wrong with the actors. I think they did a great job, but they're complete unknowns. Mm-hmm. Just, again, shoestring budget. If it had been a pedestrian concept or something that just didn't impress me with originality or execution or anything, mm-hmm. 
it was just another film. It's another, you know, made for video. Mm-hmm. Toss it on the, the, the DVD rack and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Versus a, ooh, you know, we ought to go, go watch this and review this. Mm-hmm. With the Marvel films, particularly this one, the fight sequences are great. They, they pull off the look, the effects, the, the personalities of the characters. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, these are as good a re- live action rendition of the characters as I think could be done. You know, maybe we'll get better ones down the line, whatever, but I mean, it's not like, oh, geez, this was cheesier. Yeah, but it's the only thing we've got to, mm-hmm. to, to watch a live action of thus and so. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you go back to the 70s, the Captain America, the, the Hulk, even the, the, not so much the Wonder Woman, that was pretty good. Um, but the Spider-Man, certainly. It's like, yeah, these are a little cheesy. These are... A product of their time, so A product of their time, but everything from our perspective to back then looks cheesy. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a couple of things that, 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 that actually hold their, their own in terms of the time frame. I would say the original Star Wars is one of those. Mm-hmm. But there are even some things that come out that when you watch it as it comes out. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Swing and a miss. Didn't quite do it. And I don't know that the Marvel Studios has had any of those yet. Now, Ant-Man, eh, maybe it'll be one. Maybe it won't. There was a point at which I would have thought either Cap and or Thor could have been that way. Uh, either the first set of movies or the second. But so far, they've, they've pulled it out in mm-hmm. terms of the quality, uh, the material, the continuity. And what's really, I think, helping them is even if any movie has a, a moment of weakness within it, it's held up by the overall quality of that film and all of the other Marvel Studios films. Well, like with this one, I forgive them for the Potomac River not flooding into the underground hangar. I'm still trying to figure out how and when they built the Triskelion and managed to build in this gargantuan hangar that is multiple city blocks in size. Under the Potomac Under River. Under the Potomac. I don't know how wide the Potomac is, but this thing is is got a, a receding roof, which is under the Potomac, that is long enough for a helicarrier to fly up. And the Potomac River recedes with the roof. To hell with the, the repulsor technology for the, the thrusters on the helicarrier. How did they build that roof? <laughs> How do you do this without somebody noticing? No. Why have they drained the Potomac? No. What the hell is that really deep thing they're building there? Okay, now, the river does not waterfall into the hangar when they retract the roof. However, when one of the helicarriers crashes next to the still open roof to the hangar, because heaven forbid we close it when we're done getting the helicarriers out, it crashes and it starts falling into the hangar, it brings part of the river with it. I'm willing to assume that the Potomac was just inches deep for the duration of this whole thing. How nobody noticed, I don't know. But but then where does the water come for splashing in when the things crash later? And and why did they have to change all three of the guidance devices? I mean, there are a couple of things. That, yes, if you stop and really think about the movie. Now, wait. Okay, you've got a guidance thing. You've got to get all three helicarriers, which have to be over 3,000 feet, giving us an artificial time frame, mm-hmm. you know, ticking clock. Every movie should have a ticking clock. Each one has a go, 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 go replace this one circuit board. Mm-hmm. Got to do all three or it doesn't matter at all. And we guarantee okay. Cap will do two out of three. Yes. Why does he have two out of three? The other guy has the wings. <laughs> <laughs> he can get to the other helicarrier. Details. 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 
Well, and of course, you've got to not show us where everybody is. So, okay, you know, it's, uh, some of this, again, narrative But the thing drama. is, I enjoyed the movie so much that I'm aware of these things, but I enjoyed the movie. So I'm okay with these things. You've, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, same here, same here. I mean, it's funny. It's easy to mock. If you go to YouTube and uh, go to the How It Should Have Ended channel. They're cartoons that are basically pointing out these kinds of things with the, well, how are we going to go get the, the jetpack or whatever, which they do all off camera. And then later we've got the, the magic uh, uh, face mask thing for Black Widow. It's like, you had that the whole time and you didn't tell us? You know, <laughs> yes, there are things like that. To me, having a film that doesn't have things like that or any story really hard to do and i'm yeah. really impressed when when i can sit back and think it through and ooh, wow it it really holds together mm-hmm. and this one i mean movies have have a range of you know i watch it certain things will hit me certain things won't if a movie just totally falls apart this made no sense why didn't they just do this blah 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 it's like it's hard for me to respect the film mm-hmm. well and I am by no means saying this one was falling apart while we were watching it. Just, That's my point. Yeah, just that in those final five or ten minutes, as the Potomac was receding, I was sitting there going, and this is hard to swallow, but I'm going to give it to them for their reality, because clearly that was the only way they figured this worked. Well, and there are certain things that don't really affect the plot. It's yeah. just somebody thought it would look cool. Okay, it does. But there are other things that, again, Cap having... The last of the the, the mm. circuit boards to put in. How come he had it and the other guy didn't? Oh, they're both going over together. Okay, but you've only got three of these. If mm-hmm. either guy had gotten shot down unsuccessful, you're doomed. Mm-hmm. The plan had serious holes. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's one of those that at one end of the spectrum. Oh my God, everything falls apart. You could drive trucks through the plot holes in this thing and everybody should be able to see it to damn this thing is tight i can't find any holes and anywhere up towards that end of the spectrum even if i find some afterwards oh yeah well that wouldn't work because the longer i've had to think about it to find that the better yeah and frankly some of it ah just a line of dialogue here there could fix it okay fine it's when it gets to the point of i'm in the middle of watching the movie and i'm like really you've got to be kidding me yeah. And I haven't really felt that for most of the Marvel films. I'd be hard-pressed off the top of my head to name any time. Certainly with this one, there are a couple of places where it's like, okay, he's he's doing a swan dive off a building again with a shield. Seems a little dangerous, a little reckless, but, you know, hey, he's Cap. It, it pulls it off. He's got to shake it off and that stuff. I'm impressed his arm doesn't break. Yeah. Well, they deal with it being vibranium and how it just is completely impact absorbent. Ah, that's They did say that in the first one. That's true. That's true. I was more impressed by Nick Fury giving his litany of ailments after he'd been killed and then shaking it off and just having an arm in a sling later after the helicopter ride. Yeah. I loved the bit. He's giving me, this is everything that happened to me because I got shot and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, this is why I have trust issues. Yes. It's like, God, that was a great line. Yes. I don't trust anyone because they keep trying to take over the world. Yes. Samuel Jackson does a brilliant job as as Nick Fury. At some point, I want to dig up, if I've got a copy or can find a copy, the uh, David Hasselhoff uh, Nick Fury oh, that's from the 90s. Yeah, I was going to say, that's from quite a while ago. That They had the Helicarrier. They had a lot of the classic characters. Mm. Um, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Whether it holds up, don't know. Yeah. 
Obviously, their helicarrier, not going to be as impressive as these, but probably won't get shot down on their first mission either. Mm. I liked the helicarriers aiming at each other. I did, but I was wondering at first when you had the three firing at each other, one of them's going to wind up surviving longer, and of course, that's what happened. It was fun. The things looked awesome. Mm-hmm. I I think one of Samuel L. Jackson's best lines came when he was flying the helicopter and Falcon had to dive sand's wings out of the building from the 41st floor and the helicopter wasn't exactly where it needed to be and he nearly dove through it and out the other side and he's screaming, I said the 41st floor. And Samuel L. Jackson comes back with, it's not like they have numbers painted on the floors on the outside of the building. The response should have been, well, tell the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. about them. <laughs> it was just so much fun. Yeah. They had some good interplay again, the good action suits, the, the helicopter banking so he could dive through it without going through the blades. Yeah. You know, the... the Seeing the different ways some of the Quinjets were taken out, getting the Quinjet later over, one of those over on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., very cool. They've got the toys, they do some fun stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And I want to see, I mean, Marvel has proven they can play the long game on these films. Mm-hmm. They can plan a ways out, they can have the thing build up. And it's not like you couldn't watch just this movie having never seen any of the other Marvel films. You can it's yeah. perfectly accessible. You get a recap of who Cap is in this, how he came to be, etc. But they keep building up that universe. It's got more and more momentum behind it. If they can be swapping out the actors and going with this, there's no reason 10, 20 years from now they can't still be doing fun Captain America or Avengers or whatever films they want to be doing. And I hope they're able to maintain that momentum. Yeah. I hope they're able to translate some of that into the TV stuff. It'd be nice. I, I'd like to see some of what I felt, especially in these two movies, over in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think we're getting s- some more of it over in, in Agent Carter. Yeah. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. still feels a little more disconnected from the cinematic universe. Uh, and we'll see with the remainder of, of both uh, how that plays out. But Marvel's got such momentum on the movie side. DC right now has such momentum on the television side. Mm-hmm. The real challenge there is can DC get their movies kind of firing in all cylinders? Can they learn from what Marvel has done? Yeah. And I, I certainly hope so. I look at comic book sales. Obviously, I, I look at that a lot. You got a couple of things that are doing great. Most things are just doing okay. And, you know, I don't really follow DVD and Blu-ray sales, but I've seen a c- couple of times I've gotten some statistics for like the Iron Man ones or whatever. And it seems like if one, te- if, if one half of 1% of the people who buy these things on the opening week or weekend, which is where it seems like a lot of the sales happen, were to buy the corresponding, be it Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Avengers, or Batman, Superman, you know, whatever it would be, mm-hmm. the comic would easily double in sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One half of 1% of the people who bought it like the first weekend. It's it's incredibly doable. Yeah. In terms of, it, I mean, that's worse than a direct mail campaign response. Yeah. Not a lot worse, but worse. The thing is, is it worth the money to read the comics, etc.? Comics have priced themselves uh, out of the market, and they're now competing with their own material in a much more immersive and entertaining format. Yeah. Vibrant, I should say. Not entertaining is not the right word. Comics are brilliantly entertaining. 
but a a. But movies hit all the senses movies in a way hit all comics the senses don't, and or more senses, I should say. It, yeah, give time. Look at the others. <laughs> it's easier to consume a movie. You don't really have to work at it. You don't have to flip the pages, read anything. Yeah. Imagine anything. You, the movie does it all for you. Well, you were unintentionally teasing me at the end of the, watching the movie that I was so relaxed. It was almost like I'd taken a nap or been dreaming because I was just sitting here yawning and all curled up and happy. Yeah. And I mean, that is a wonderful movie experience for me to just be that relaxed, albeit having just watched a bunch of people get killed and all this well, stuff. What's fun about a movie like this is while at times I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is a little crazy or having some wisecrack or something like that. There's also an aspect of me that is in that universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is of an immersive universe. These are believable characters. This is cool action sequences. It, it sucks me in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, that's the sign of success. Yeah, exactly. There were no moments in this movie that made me stop and go, hey, wait a second. That doesn't jive with what I believe is true for this universe. Mm -hmm. Well, and there were a couple as we were going through where you had pointed out to me, okay, the running here kind of parallels the, the stuff back in the camp. I had seen, oh, it's the same camp and, you know, things of that nature. Um, there are a lot of parallels here, again, from the first movie to the second, yet subtle and thematic almost versus... You know, let's. It didn't seem formulaic. No. Well, and there were nice touches in this movie, like when a uh, Cap, Steve Rogers, is first running at the beginning and he keeps saying, you know, uh, on the left, on the left. And then at the end of the movie, when he wakes up in the hospital room and needs to tell Sam Falcon that he's awake, he just says, on the left. The other way they could have done that. Have Sam on the other side of the bed <laughs> as he notices yes. Cap waking up on the left <laughs> from Sam. Yes. You know, as Falcon's saying that, and it's like, oh, now you finally beat me. I had to be better. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, again, the callbacks, the humor, the continuing conversations. Well, and the music that was playing in the hospital room. That was the same stuff Sam had recommended at the beginning. Yes. When Cap was writing that down, by the way, uh, from what I've heard uh, on like uh, IMDb and stuff, the list of, of what he's missed out on for Cap differs from country to country. Which is a nice touch. It's, it's regionalized. Yeah. So it, I like those details, those aspects. Um, it, it gives, again, the immersive nature of the film. It, it helps suck you in. Yeah. So great, great film. A lot of fun. Definitely worth uh, worth watching if you have watched it. Watch it again. That's worth doing too. I think so. Uh, Cap again, one of my favorite characters. And I certainly understand why. So I think at this point, uh, really one of the questions I think we need to talk about after recording this is well, what movies we do next. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Iron Man ones. There's some DC stuff. I mean, we've literally got stacks of DVDs. Um, that we could go through, uh, and, and over the course of time, we definitely will. It's fun to just, you know, take an evening, watch a movie, and chat about it for a bit afterwards. So, anything else? Or does that pretty much do it for this? That does it. Cool.
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.